Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. How many of y'all enjoying the cooler weather? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yep, right. we, can, we can clap about that. Tickled about that. Um, so a few years ago, I was, uh, uh, it's been more than a few years ago, but a while back, a long while back, I was uh, in another state and I was playing in a men's church league basketball, on a church league basketball team, men's team. And um, so, you know, like you usually do, you get there a little bit early and you warm up and you, you know, you do some shoot arounds and stuff like that. So this particular day, we're shooting around and it gets to be about 10 minutes before tip off and the other team still hadn't showed up. You know, so in between shots, you know, my team, the guys are kind of talking like, hey man, do you think they forgot? Is this going to be a forfeit? What's the deal? And so, you know, we're just kind of talking like that. And finally, about seven or eight minutes before the game's supposed to start, the entire other team walks in all at once in their orange uniforms. But they weren't basketball uniforms. They were orange jumpsuits on the back, shoulder high, were stenciled in black letters, Northeast Correctional Facility. None of us had any idea they were in our men's church league. So anyway, you know, the game finally starts, and these guys were really nice. I mean, they were very respectful. Most of them were kind of young. It was a competitive game, but it wasn't dirty or rough or anything like that. Didn't hear, hardly hear a cuss word, and I know some of you are thinking, well, it's a church league, of course. No, that's not how like church leagues. It should be that way, but it's not always that way. If you've ever played softball or church league basketball, you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it happens, unfortunately. But anyway, they're kind of kind and respectful. You know, they'd say, nice shot, you know, nice block or whatever, that kind of thing. And uh, so finally the game's over. By the way, my team won. Just make sure you understand that. But um, we found out later, apparently, that if these guys went to chapel and, you know, kind of didn't get in any trouble, kept their nose clean all week, they'd be, they were allowed to participate in this basketball league under supervision. So after the game, we're just talking with these guys. I mean, just like you had talked to any other group of guys after you played a basketball game. And, you know, what we found out was, you know, most of them were less, you know, under 25 years old. And uh, every one of them would just tell you, yeah, I did something dumb. I stole a car. I, uh, I sold some drugs. I got caught in a robbery. Just, they had just done something stupid. And so all of them were doing time for the crime that they had committed. And I guess I was just impressed by how open and honest and transparent these guys were. So I'm driving home and I was just kind of thinking about that. And so I kind of coined a phrase that night on my drive home. And I actually did a sermon series on it years and years ago at a youth camp I used to work on. And the phrase is this. Your life will not be determined by what you want, but by the choices you make. I mean, you can want anything in the world. But if you make the wrong choices, it's not going to matter. It's not enough to want something. You've got to make the right choices to get and accomplish the goals that you have. Those guys didn't want to be in prison. I mean, nobody, when you ask them when they're little, five years old or whatever, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a prisoner. 
Nobody says that. Nobody writes in their yearbook, see you in prison, right? But they had done some stupid things and they were suffering the consequences for what they did. Now, we've been looking at Abraham the last few weeks, and we've been looking at this dysfunctional kind of crazy part of Abraham's life. And Abraham, he made some good decisions, but he made some terrible decisions, terrible choices in his life from time to time. And those consequences that we're going to see today just didn't affect him. They affected other people who didn't even have a part in, in making the decision. But the consequences affected them too. And so that phrase that I just mentioned to you a while ago, the Holy Spirit kind of brought that back up to me this week because it kind of describes Abraham a little bit. Your life will not be determined by what you want, but by the choices that you make. And this story we're going to look at this morning to me is one of the saddest and strangest stories in all of Scripture. And your heart, at least mine does, absolutely breaks for this single mom by the name of Hagar. And you know what else? This is also a heart-wrenching story because it's our story. When we read this story, we find ourselves holding onto our chairs because we want to run. Because we realize it's not just a story that happened a long time ago to people who lived a long time ago. It's happening today and it's happening to a lot of families. Blended families, mixed families that so many people experience now. First wife, second wife, stepmom, stepdad, stepchildren. The story rings with a contemporary flavor to it for blended families. Our kids, my kids, your kids. And poor Hagar, probably the first woman to have to give a name to a man that should have simply be called her husband. Instead, she says what some people say today. Well, he's the father of my children. And here we find perhaps the first story of a single mom thrown out to survive and a poor teenager who is alienated from his father. You see, it's a very painful, modern story. And because it's the story of so many in our culture, and I'm not just talking about in the parenting realm, but just in general, there are people that feel forsaken by God, like, God, where are you? Where where are you? I don't feel like you're listening to me. And there are those that feel marginalized, and there are those who feel rejected. And and you're wondering, God, what, what is the deal here? And you can identify with this woman and her tears and her dying child. And I think that's why in in a lot of this story of Abraham's that we started way back in the beginning of the summer, there's this, this Abraham and the chosen people. That's a lot of the story. The Israelites, God's chosen nation. But when you get to chapter 21 here, it's like God takes this detour. And I think the reason that he takes that detour is because he wants to make sure we understand That he is just not the God of the chosen people, not just the God of the Israelites. He's the God of all of us. He's not just the God of one particular tribe. He is the God of all nations and all tribes and all individuals. And that's what we need to remember this morning about this story. That when we feel like God's not listening to us, 
when we feel like God has, has walked out or he's forsaken us, we need to remember this old story and how God sees the tears of this outcast woman and an abandoned child. And we need to understand that God is there even when we feel like he's forsaken us. So let's just kind of dive in this morning. Genesis chapter 21 kind of gives the account of a man, Abraham, whose previous sin now haunts him. And it harms the people that he loves. So chapter 21 also begins with the birth of Isaac. Sarah is 90 years old when she gives birth to Isaac. Abraham is well over a hundred years. And you may remember from our previous study that God had told Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. A great nation. And she wasn't getting pregnant. I mean, how can you make a great nation out of somebody if they don't have any kids? And so they begin to get frustrated, and instead of waiting on God, they decide they're going to kind of help God out. And their answer to that is they, you know, Sarah tells her husband Abraham, Hey, Abraham, why don't you take my servant and go sleep with her? Her name was Hagar. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And, of course, they ended up having a child. Ishmael was his name. And so in our terms, Ishmael was her stepson. But here in Genesis chapter 21, we read in verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore to him. Now, it's interesting this word Isaac means he laughs. And I kind of gave you... A little bit of insight on that last week, the word, he la the word laughs. They named him Isaac, and the significance of why they named their son laughs is because when God first told them, she's 90 years old, you're going to have a child? <laughs> yeah, right, God. Yeah, of course we are. Yeah, that's a good joke, God. Who has children at 90 years old, right? So they laughed about it. And then they laughed again, joyful laugh, when he was born because they were so excited. And so his name is Isaac. And you know the birth of a, of a new child sometimes causes um, some friction in the household with the other siblings, especially if there's just like one sibling and they've kind of been the, uh, the, the exclusive one of attention. So I remember years ago, my oldest daughter, Bonnie, she was 21 months old when my son was born. One of my sons was born, Austin. And uh, she didn't take too kindly to that, to be honest with you. And uh, so probably a couple months, Austin, I guess, was probably six to eight weeks old. One day we hear Austin screaming. I mean, just, you know, that I've got a dirty diaper, I'm thirsty or any of that stuff. I mean, like painful kind of screams that babies sometimes have. So we run into the room. And Bonnie has climbed into the bassinet with little Austin. And she's standing up in the bassinet, and she has her foot on his throat. And she is just pushing down and smiling as he screams. I've got a picture, not of that, but of her in general, about that age. Does that look like... A cold-blooded throat crusher. <laughs> Looks can be deceiving. Well, Ishmael's like this. He's been the firstborn. 
By the time that Isaac is born, he's 14 years old. By the time our story takes place, he's 17 years old. So for 14 years, he was kind of the center of attention. And so there's this, this kind of jealousy and there's kind of this friction, you know, between him and, and Isaac anyway. And uh, so at this, this event that's fixing to happen that we're going to read about in just a second, uh, we're going to find out how that kind of friction kind of thing works out. And just to let you kind of know what's happening, there's a party going on. And isn't it interesting in dysfunctional families how often when there's family get-togethers, that's when crazy things happen? And that's exactly what happens. This, this craziness happens at a family celebration. So here's what we read in verse 8. The child grew, talking about Isaac, was weaned. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. Now let me give you a little bit of kind of some ancient Near East history and customs so we kind of understand what's happening here. In, in the ancient Near East, it was kind of, a, a child wouldn't be weaned till they were about three years old. That seems a little strange to us, but that's the way it was. And when that child would be weaned, there'd be a big celebration. There, there'd be a big party. So this big party is going on. Ishmael, the, the stepson, is 17 years old. Again, this seems a little strange to us, but at that particular time, 17 years old, you were kind of a man. And pretty soon he'd be, you know, Abraham would be arranging a wife for him and he'd be getting married and, and all those types of things. And I know if, if you're like me and maybe you have a child that's kind of close to being 17, 16, 18, whatever it is, and you think, wow, I just couldn't imagine them doing something like that at that age nowadays. But back then it was kind of the way it went. So the rivalry's kind of going on between Isaac and, and Ishmael. And we were told that, we're told that the word they're mocking, I've got it highlighted in yellow, that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Now that word mocking is, actually has the same root word of Isaac's name that, and means to laugh. But because it's in an intensive verb form, it has a little different nuance to it. And it literally means to jest, to make sport of, to, uh, to make fun of, to ridicule. That's kind of what the word means, not just simply to laugh. So I, however he's ridiculing this young toddler, whatever he's doing, mama's mad. I mean, you think a grizzly bear gets upset? Can you imagine a 93-year-old mom, you know, and her three-year-old's being made fun of, how protective and how she just kind of jumped in? And so kind of with a mom's protect, protectiveness mixed with a little bit of jealousy and the fact that she doesn't like the Sarah, uh, Hagar, the handmaiden anyway, this is what she says to her, to, to her husband. And you can just hear, I mean, if you, if, you, if you kind of think about how she's gonna be saying this, here's what she says. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. And her son, for that woman's son, will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And you know she's really upset because she doesn't even call him by name. She doesn't say Hagar and Ishmael. She says, get rid of that slave woman and her son. That's how upset she is. She only refers to them by their social status. You know, I think parents that are trying to keep the P 
piece, so to speak, in a step family situation can identify with this. I think people can identify with how helpless Abraham found himself. I mean, he's in a no-win situation. He loved his wife. I'm sure he's thrilled at this little three-year-old that's tottering around in his tents. But yet, here's Ishmael, his teenage son that he, that he is, you know, raised to manhood. And he loves him too. And I'm sure he's looking forward to that day when he's going to arrange a marriage for him. And he's going to give him provisions, tents, and stuff to, to start his own life. And then grandchildren are to follow. And he is just in a tough spot. I'm sure he's kind of beating himself up. What was I thinking 18 years ago? What was I possibly thinking? Now I've got a teenage son whom I love and a 93-year-old wife who's furious with me. And while mama's not happy, nobody's happy, right? And that's kind of the place he finds himself in. And you kind of have to understand, again, I know we're bringing in some history, but it helps us to understand this story. There were certain customs back then, and one of the customs was that if, 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 if a, when, a, when, when a rightful heir was born, you couldn't just kick out a handmaiden like Hagar and her son. You, you weren't allowed to do that. And so he's trying to figure out what to do because what Sarah was asking him to do was against cultural norms. So he's trying to figure it out, and, and how's he going to do this? And certainly she's cold toward this, and, and her behavior is anything but motherly. So eventually what Abraham decides to do, there was a custom at that particular time called Lipt Ishtar, which basically meant that Abraham could give her and Ishmael their freedom, because she was a slave, could give them their freedom in exchange for the fact that she would never be able to, or Ishmael would never be able to claim any of the inheritance. So that's kind of what he decided to do. Well, it still bothered Abraham. I mean, you can imagine saying goodbye to your, to your son. Just, just, you know, hey, hope you do well, son. Don't come back. That's what he's having to do. So we read in verse 12, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. You know, I think there are many homes today with stepchildren and half-brothers and half-sisters, and it's not always easy for exes to deal with, you know, previous husbands and previous mothers and wives. And a lot of times there's just hard feelings there, and it's highly likely that from time to time exes don't always handle those kinds of things appropriately. I came across a picture. Do you have the picture of that sculpture there? It's by George Siegel. Yeah. So this picture here, George Siegel did this picture. And he did this in 1987, and it's a sculpture. And I must have given him the wrong picture, which is on me. There's a, in the, in the, the picture I wanted, Sarah is also in the picture. So this is Hagar, and this is Abraham and his son Ishmael, and in the some reason, I picked the wrong picture. I clicked on the wrong one. Hagar's there. And um, so Hagar, she can't bear to watch as her father of her child and her teenage son kind of hug there, getting ready to leave. I wish I could show you the picture of Hagar, uh, 
Sarah there because she's kind of hiding behind the rock and peeking around the corner. And basically, she just has hate in her eyes. And then you'll notice that, that Abraham is kind of bent over. It's not like a, a straight up like you would hug your son, bear hug kind of thing. It's like there's a distance there, like he's already kind of distancing himself from Ishmael. And Siegel, what he was trying to do is just show the pain and the anguish that was happening. Abraham was having a terrible time. I mean, how can you say to your son, be gone and don't come back? And that's what he was being forced to do because that's what Sarah was asking him to do. So we read a little bit more about Abraham's decision. You can jump back to that other verse there. Dana, I'd appreciate it. But God said to him, verse 13, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be recognized. And then in verse 14 he says, Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then set her off with the boy. She went on her way with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So Abraham gets up the next morning. The mother of his child, his stepson, or, his, or not his stepson, but his son, who's 17 years old, gives him some water, gives him some food, says, don't come back. I ask myself, who does that? How can you do that? So I kind of mulled that over and pondered that this week. Do you know that's still going on today? We're not sending, dads aren't sending kids out in the desert or moms, but they're walking out, just walking out. I don't want any visitation rights, I'm, I'm done. Just leave. Some of them never even say goodbye. Still happening today. This is the part of the story I struggle with. Even though God assured Abraham that Isaac would be the one who his lineage would come from, I'm like, Abraham's a wealthy man. How does he not send his, the mother of his child and his, and his son with provisions? In a tent. How does he not go help them set up somewhere else so that they can at least have a, a, a comfortable and decent life? How, uh, why does he not do that? And the only thing I can come up with is that Sarah wouldn't let him. Because anything that went to Ishmael meant less of an inheritance for Isaac. And what a dreadful place the desert of Beersheba is. I mean, it's that way today. I mean, it's just, it's just a terrible, desolate place. And I can think of no better metaphor probably to describe single parenting, not just single moms, but single parenting. And like most suddenly single parents, Hagar finds herself at challenging times, just trying to survive, wandering aimlessly around that desert at first. And sometimes I talk to single parents and they're like, yeah, that's what it's like at first. You're, you're trying to get your bearings and you're kind of stunned and you're kind of in shock for a little while as you try to figure out what to do next. And she, she doesn't have enough provisions to take care of her, for, of her children. And I know many single parents experience that. She felt like she was forsaken and wonder if God still cared about her. 
Her desperation knew no bounds. And we continue the story in verses 15 and 16. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. I think if you're a single parent, you can understand Hagar's despair. Whatever the cause of your single parent situation, you find yourself by yourself. And you find yourself with nobody to count on, nobody to share the load with, nobody to help. Sometimes just the bare necessities of life are a constant struggle. Struggle. Sometimes you feel like the church has forgotten about you. And I can promise you, Burning Bush has not forgotten about you and we'll do anything we can to help you. I know sometimes you probably feel like you're, you're walking around in different places and people are looking over their glasses wondering, well, how did he or she find themselves in this particular situation? You gotta take care of yourself and your kids. And the, the despair is overwhelming. Holidays are coming and they remind you of better times and so you hate those and your memories might be sad and you might feel like your future is bleak. And maybe you can't even remember the last time you laughed. At the risk of sounding preachy, can I offer some words of hope? And they come from a place of deep compassion. You need to know that while you feel alone, God has not forgotten about you. He is still there. He sees you. He sees your weeping. He cares for you and your children. You might think the nights are long, but he is there. He will see you through Beersheba just like he did Hagar. And if you identify with Hagar, take heart. God will give you the strength. He understands that you probably didn't ask for the situation that you're in. You know, this story would be troubling enough if, if Hagar and Ishmael somehow had deserved this. And yeah, Hagar could have been a little nicer to Sarah and maybe Ishmael didn't use the, the best of judgment. But Hagar didn't ask for this. It was like she was a breeding mare. It's like Abraham came in and like, go lay down over there. And nine months later, she had a child that wasn't born out of love. She had nothing to do with it. And the very people that concocted this plan are now the ones that are throwing her out. Fortunately, God sees the injustice and he hears the cries. And this is what he says in verses 17 and 18. God heard the boy crying and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from the heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Do you know this is really interesting? That Hagar is one of the few people in scripture that had two theophanies. Twice God appeared to her. One of the few people in scripture. I mean, God cared. He, he really did. Verse 18, lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy 
a drink. Notice, this is really important. This is, this is not just a single parent thing. This is for everybody that feels marginalized, feels like God has forgotten about you. A lot of times when you're in the middle of the mess, you don't see relief. You can't see the water. Sometimes in your own misery, you just can't see things because you can't see past the misery. And God opened Hagar's eyes and he sharpened her perception to see what she had been missing that she needed so badly. And that turned everything around for her and her son. It's like God saying, hey girl, I'm right here. Hadn't forgotten about you. To the single parents early, a few minutes ago, I offered some words of compassion. Allow me to say a few words of warning. If you stay bitter, you will starve. You'll never see the nearby well. You will become your own worst enemy. Don't go there. Look for God. Accept his provisions. Exchange that bitterness for mercy. Tell God, I don't have to have a mate to survive. Let God take care of you. Look at how well he took care of Hagar and her son. We continue on in verses 20 and 21. God was with the boy as he grew up and he lived in the desert and he became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. We read later on in Genesis chapter 25 that he prospered. He had 12 sons and an unknown number of daughters. And today, Arabs, today, trace their lineage all the way back through Ishmael to Abraham. Book of Genesis chapter 25, Ishmael lived 137 years old. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. That word, living in hostility, you know that's still true today. We all know that the nation of Israel and the Arabs have been fighting for, for years and years and years, and that even continues into this day. So you could say that the sin that Abraham committed five or 6,000 years ago still has consequences today. Isn't that amazing? Even today. It still reverberates. So what do we learn from this story? Three lessons. And I just kind of want to break them into the three, three main characters here. You have Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. And maybe you can identify with one of these characters more than the other. But here's some things I think we can learn. Number one, if you identify with Sarah, lingering consequences of sin may stalk you but they won't master you unless you let them. Sarah comes across as the villainess in this story, and rightfully so. I mean, she really was. There's not much motherly kind of stuff going on in this story. And it was her idea for Abraham to go in and sleep with Hagar, and then when he does that, she gets mad at Hagar. She gets mad at the, you know, everything else that happens, the way things turned out. She blames you know, her husband, she mistreats Hagar, she cuts Ishmael out of the family estate. And I think if we're really honest, 
probably all of us can see a little bit of Hagar in ourselves, and maybe that really bothers us, that, that we can do that. Parts of us that we don't like very much. Sarah kind of shows us that any of us under the right circumstances, that the lingering consequences of sin can make us bitter and offensive people. And if we don't make peace with our past, the lingering sin can become a continual source of shame and guilt. And it makes it hard to close chapters in our life. Listen, the past is the past. We cannot unlive the past. So our responsibility is to make the best of the present circumstances and take those sins and put them at the foot of the cross. And take the guilt and take the shame too and put it at the foot of the cross. Ask for God's forgiveness and move on. Because that's what God is doing. And that's what he offers us. Secondly, maybe you identify with Abraham and the marital disagreements that happen sometimes. Marital disagreements happen and, and we can learn from them. None of us have a perfect marriage. Disagreements will come and hopefully when those disagreements come in your marriage, you learn from them and you grow in them and you learn to to. to to resolve those disagreements and you learn to kind of bear with each other. Through the years, I've learned to listen to my wife. Now, you don't have to tell her I'm saying all this, but I might deny it, I'm just kidding. But I've learned to listen to her and I've learned to listen to her wisdom. She knows me better than anybody else and when she tells me something, she's on my side. She wants what's best for me and I don't always like it and I don't always like to hear her perspective on things. And sometimes I'll disagree. But I tell you what, I've learned to be a much better man through our disagreements. And I've learned how to love her better by learning to listen to her. Now, I still have a long way to go. I'll tell you that right now. But I've learned a lot. And lessons that we learn often come through the person that we're married to if we don't become too stupid to hear what they're telling us, we'll learn something. Third thing, to those of you who identify with Hagar, I think this happens to so many of us, personal regrets can discourage you, but don't let them cripple you. We all have things that discourage us, regrets, things that we wished we'd done differently, but don't let those things cripple you. Throughout this story, God says to the marginalized, the outcast, to the single parents, that there's water at the well. He says, I got a plan for you. You may not find comfort in Abraham's tents, so to speak, but God is there for you. Take your eyes off of other people. Quit worrying about everybody else. Stop expecting the circumstances to go away. Whatever the mess you find yourself in right now and whatever happened to cause that mess, even if it's not your fault, choose. You have a choice. You can be bitter about it or you can have a triumphal attitude about it. And boy, do your children need you to choose the latter to have a triumphal attitude about it. Close the chapter. 
Turn the page. Whatever it takes, whatever your struggle, God is greater and God is saying, I'll take you through those difficult circumstances. You got to trust me. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and Father, we just read these stories that are five and 6,000 years old, but it's like they could be happening next door to us with different names, with blended families and stepsons and stepdaughters and stepdads and your child, my child, our child. And Father, I know there are folks in this room that, Father, they're living some of this. And Father, we just pray for your grace and your mercy. And Father, to those that might be in this room today that that just feel like you're not there, I just ask that you minister to them today. I pray that they sense your presence. I pray that they sense your care. Father, I pray for all of us today. Maybe there are marriages here today that are struggling. Maybe there's folks dealing with with sin from the past that they just need to close the chapters on. Maybe there's guilt and shame that are crippling folks. I don't know what it is, God, but just move in our midst today. Help each of us to ask, God, what is it you want me to learn from this story today? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.